0: Look at us! Look at us! We've got—I could almost count you all on uh, on two hands, eh? Can you guys hear me? All right, all right, terrific. Um, welcome, everyone. I um—I knew that the youth rally was on today, and um, I mean, let's face it: all the youth are gone. All the kids have just gone. So I figured today we'd do something special just for us oldies. And I say us oldies because for a long time I have believed that I could still stretch into that youth category. um, But a significant event in my life happened just not too long ago that confirmed for me that that is no longer the case. Clayton. Should have gone to Specsavers. Yeah. An eye test online with the test experts. Hello, that's right. There's a couple of lessons in this video. The first is be careful of avocado on church lunches. And um, and I went to an eye test. That's what confirmed for me that I'm no longer longer a youth or a young person. I'm now an oldie. And I distinctly remember I went in for this eye test and, and the screen, the you know, the letters came up there why are you reading this? I can't even read it from there. Why are you, <laughs> why are you reading uh, this sign? Are you worried about your eyes? I think they look just fine. Apparently mine didn't say that. But I was able to read it really well. I, I was getting through it and I thought I was doing such a great job and the optometrist put this um, framework over my head. Who's done this? I'm not the only one, right? And they have all these slots where they can put in pieces of glass, different lenses, and I'm sitting there reading just without anything. And I went through it, and I got a long way down. I thought I was nailing this thing. And then the optometrist just casually dropped two pieces of glasses in front of my eyes. And all of a sudden, I realized just how fuzzy my vision actually was. I actually sat forward in my chair and said, What? Do that again. Take them out. Put them in. And I, I, I found it that hard to believe. And so now... I've got these monstrosities and I'm not used to them. I hate these things. I hate dropping them, I hate losing them. I hate, you know what I really hate about these things is the fact that I only need them to read up close. I do a lot of work on screens and I need them to see the screen, but if I use them to look further afield, everything's blurry. So constantly at work, I've got it on to work on the computer and if anyone says anything around the room and I have to respond, I have to take them off. So I'm constantly putting them on and off, which gets tiresome. So what do you end up doing? Just do that and look over. And all of a sudden, I am that 60-year-old or 80-year-old librarian condescendingly looking down my glasses at everyone around me. I hate these things. They're not me. So I'm going to try to uh, get through this sermon without them, even though I probably should use them. I'm still fighting it. I'm fighting it. I'm not old. Um, so today is something just for us oldies. You see... Without our sight, we'd miss out on so much, yeah? Like we'd miss out on beautiful sunsets or just the whole beauty of nature. Without our sight, we would miss out on um, the thrill of being able to look into the eyes of someone that you love. Without our eyes, you'd miss out on um, that, that joy that comes from seeing the delight in your children's eyes. But our spiritual sight is 10,000 times more important. Like our spiritual sight is how we perceive God. It's, it's how we see who He is and, and what He's doing in the world around us and, and what's really going on in life. Without our spiritual sight, we miss out on the most glorious displays and vistas in the universe. And one of the most tragic curses of the fall and sin is the fact that we became spiritually blind, or worse still, We don't realise just how spiritually blind we became. But what if you could see what Jesus sees? How different would that be from your current vision? How would that change the way you do life? So there's this story that I love about spiritual vision. It's found in 2 Kings um, chapter 6. And let me set the scene before we go to the text. Um, basically, the king of Aram has been at war with the Israelites. And this war has been raging on. And, and he's tried all sorts of things. But more recently, he's trying espionage. He's trying to lay traps for the king of Israel. And every time he does, time and time again, Elisha the prophet of Israel keeps warning the king what's going on. And this is infuriating the king. Every time he thinks he's got him caught, something's happening. He's evading him. And it comes to the point where he pulls in all his advisors, the king of Aram, and he, he basically he's trying to work out who is the spy amongst us. And in the Bible says that one of his advisors says to him, um, It's none of us, my lord, the king. But Elisha the prophet tells the king of Israel, the very words you speak in your bedroom. Now, that's a bit creepy. I'm not really sure why he chose that room. But this basically sets the scene of what's going on, right? So let's, uh, let's dive into uh, the story from verse 13. The king of Aram says to him, his men, go and find out where he is, so I can send troops and seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is in Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than there are on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Wow, I I love that story. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Just to have your eyes open and to be able to see that spiritual dimension of of what was really going on. It would have been amazing. And it kind of reminds me, I guess, a little bit of the beginning of the movie The Matrix. The Matrix take the red pill or the blue pill and I love the fact that I can use that illustration because most of you are old enough to remember the movies but it's a little bit like that, what do we see just because the, the um, Elisha's servant Gehazi just because he couldn't see the army of God didn't make its reality or the reality of its presence any less real if there are 50 people who don't see something it doesn't invalidate the perception of the one person who does see it. Faith is never just the imagining of things that don't really exist, like the world would try to have us believe. Faith is actually taking grip of things which can't be demonstrated by our five senses, but which are very real. God's army is actually there. And just because you may not have seen God at work or spiritual things is not proof that there's no such thing as a God or of a powerful Holy Spirit. It reminds me a little bit of a a legal case that I heard about um, where the lawyer actually tried to upset the evidence with non-evidence, basically. Um, There were four witnesses who saw this particular defendant commit the murder. But he pleaded not guilty. And he tried to establish his um, his innocence by producing 40 people, 10 times more, who had not seen him commit the murder that night. Like, what's with that, right? It, It doesn't make sense. What's the use of that? And so if 40 people believe that there is no God or Holy Spirit power, that only proves that there are 40 people who don't know what others do know. So what if you could see what Jesus sees? How would that change the way you do life? Well, Gehazi was frightened. He was anxious. He was even, I mean, you could almost say uh, sort of worked up to a point where he was ready to give up. And all of this by what he was able to see. And his question, what do we do now? Is one that most of us have asked. If we haven't, we probably will. And probably more than once in our life. What do we do now? it's a common issue but he was blind to the presence of the God who was fighting for him and the size of the army that was supporting him and fighting with him he doubted or or forgot or for some reason failed to see what God was doing around him in his life around his life and this guy Gehazi he was a believer he wasn't just a believer he was the personal assistant um, and the disciple of one of the greatest prophets who has ever lived. Double the spirit of Elijah who came before him. Like this was a mighty prophet. How often do you, when faced by besieging problems or issues, only see with human eyes? Or, the challenge that I have is I'll usually only see first with human eyes. And so I'll try to solve it on my own or I'll try to do something on my own because I'm only at first looking with human eyes. And it's sometimes only when I'm getting desperate that I start to look with spiritual eyes. How many of us do that? How often do we do that? Maybe you're facing difficulties at work. Or maybe you've lost your job, and that means financial difficulties and and all sorts of the stresses and burdens that come with that, worries. Perhaps you're struggling in a relationship, or struggling because you're out of a relationship. It might be that your kids are causing heartache. Or maybe your health, or the life of a loved one is under siege. Elisha's prayer that God might open the eyes of his servant was a prayer for spiritual discernment. And it's one that we need to pray regularly. More regularly than some of us probably stop and think about, right? It was another prophet, Jeremiah, who actually accused the people of Israel in his day for spiritual blindness. And Jesus actually quoted Jeremiah when he was chiding his disciples for their lack of spiritual awareness. Jesus said... You have eyes, but you do not see. Spiritual sight and discernment isn't something that comes automatically to us. It's just not. It takes time and it, it takes a connection with God. And it only comes when we are really looking for it. And when we start to when we start to get in sync with God, a little bit like you know, an old married couple where they can. Just know what the other person wants and just finish each other's um, sentences and words. Um, Mel and I probably aren't quite there. Sometimes we're on the same page, sometimes we're not on the same page. I think of a story that happened um, a little while ago. Our family went to visit some friends up on the sunny coast and we're having a great time. And I was talking to my mate and Mel was talking to um, you know, the, the lady of the house and, and the kids were off playing and having a good time. And somehow our conversation came around to um, the upcoming holidays. And I mentioned what I'd been looking at. There was a trip that we were planning and it was to a, you know, this place that really interested me. And I thought, you know, this is, this is going to be great. It was a pretty awesome holiday. And my mate got really excited about it as well. And at some point throughout the day, he must have mentioned it to his wife. Who, incidentally we had no idea, had actually also been thinking about going on holidays to exactly the same place. And (coughs) throughout the day, um, she started talking to Mel about our next holiday together, our two families going on a holiday together. Anyway, one thing led to another. Things snowballed over lunch and plans were made over dinner. And before we knew it, our two families were locked in on a family holiday together. So we're driving home that evening, back to Brisbane, And Mel just looks at me with one of those looks that I've come to know means we need to talk. And I only know that because of our 20 or 50 or whatever it is, years that we've been married um, and, and together. And because we're pretty much on the same page. So Mel asked me, she said to me, look, I... I don't mind the fact that they're coming, in fact, I'm kind of excited that they're coming on our family holiday, but I'm really surprised you didn't ask me first. I thought we were more on the same page than that. And I kind of thought about it, and well, I thought we were more on the same page too, but obviously not. And I thought about it a little bit more, and I thought of, of saying something like, well, didn't I ask you about it? But I knew that only worked for the first year or two of marriage, so I didn't try that. So I just apologised and said, yeah, I normally would. I'm not sure why I didn't. Then as I thought about it a bit more, I added, well, actually, I don't think I did invite them. I actually thought it had been you that had invited them. And so we're talking about this, and it was pretty much right at that moment that our friends phoned. And the guy came on the phone, we were in the car, and it was on speaker, and he said, we were actually just talking, we realised that neither of you actually invited us on, this, um, on your family holiday, we just wanted to check if it was alright for us to come along. So it turns out that Mel and I were on the same page. It was sort of one of those times we are going, we are, no we're not, yes we are, no we're not. And sometimes it can be a little bit like that, with us and God being on the same page. We think we are, are we? We're not. We are, we're not, you know what I mean? Is that what life's like for you as well? Because that's kind of what it often feels like for me. And then we start to see with Jesus' eyes, and it allows us to remain strong through all sorts of challenges and surprises and things that just pop up through our life, things that could throw us. And Elisha's calm answer, not to worry, shows that profound um, faith that he understood the resources that were available that that God could bring to bear And that's a really important point. God is our all-sufficient resource. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. He's got all the answers, if we could only see. And so we continue on in the, um, in the story, and we find it, it says that, through, that though a mighty army surrounds me, um, oh, sorry, David says, King David, it's almost like he was there. In Psalms, he writes, "Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard; he surrounds and defends all who love him. Taste and see that the Lord is good; are the joys of those who take refuge in him." Almost like David knew what Gehazi was going to go through. The way he wrote that. Okay, that all sounds pretty good, right? Warm fuzzies all around. But you might be thinking, that's great when things work out as neatly as they did for Elisha and Gehazi. But what about when God's people go through horrible trials? What about when things don't work out with a happy ending? Some godly people will suffer for years through disease or persecution. Where's God's protection then? can sometimes become a little bit harder for us to deal with or work through. But the Lord actually provides a little clue in this text. It's a minor detail of the story. It's something that's really easy to overlook, but I think it's actually really powerful. Did you notice where Elisha was when the army surrounded him? Do you recall? It said he was in the city of Dothan. Remember that? The report came back, he's in the city of Dothan. And it seems to me more than just a coincidence that this is a city that is only mentioned in the Bible one other time. And it's only mentioned at a time made famous, I guess, by another man of God who found himself in deep trouble. Any ideas who it was? Do you remember? I couldn't. This was the town where Joseph found his brothers when his father sent him out to see how they were doing. This was the town where they grabbed him, beat him, threw him down a pit, sold him to Egyptian slave traders, who then sold him in Egypt, where he was wrongly accused and thrown into prison and forgotten for years. This was the same place. But God was working in all of that stuff to get Joseph to a place where he could rescue both himself and his family, in fact, all the people of God, and more than that, in fact, the people of many nations. If God had answered Joseph's prayers from the pit the way Joseph had wanted, everyone in Joseph's family would have died physically as well as spiritually. It would have been over. God's people gone. And in the end, everything Joseph went through, in the end of his experience, there's this wonderful quote at the end of the story where Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me but God intended it all for good he brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people, and so even in that story we see that the chariots of fire and the angels were there for Joseph too fighting for him, but With Joseph, they were in stealth mode. They had their camo on. They had the silencers on. But they were still there. And that's how it is for you sometimes. But you can be sure that God is always there and his army is always fighting for you. Even when you can't track the angel's footprints, even when you can't hear the rumble of his chariots, he's still there. And if you're not sure about that, All you need to do is look at the cross. I love um, something that the famous reformer John Calvin said. He said that the cross is our spectacles of faith. That they bring otherwise blurry situations into the sharp focus of God's love. The cross is the spectacles of our faith. Jesus' glasses give you the ability to see a world filled with fiery chariots, working all things to good for God's children. What we all need is just this greater insight into the love of God and the character of God. You see, your current setbacks that you might be going through and, and seeing as permanent and insurmountable, broken relationships that you feel might destroy your life or failures in career that you feel are the end of it, you know, whatever it might be, um, feelings of the fact that you can't do it or that you're worthless, Or that nothing but failure and pain are in your future. They're all lies. They're all lies. Don't forget what David wrote. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who love him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. So the battle for your life has already been completely won at the cross. That's the fact of it. So just hold on to God's hand and let it play out. And in this story, spiritual sight and and the victory that came with it came through prayer. Did you notice that in the story? There are other ways that we can gain spiritual sight and let me just say that none of them come without intentional effort. Spiritual sight does not come without intentional effort. Spiritual maturity and faith These things only come when you actually go out and seek it daily. In verse 18, we read that as the Aramean army advanced towards him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. I want you to note that prayer is our means to accessing our all-sufficient Saviour. And no one knew that better than the Apostle Paul, who wrote from prison these words, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Well, the Apostle Paul certainly knew how to see the unseen, and he was someone who suffered terribly. Um, terrible persecutions because of his belief in Jesus and because of the work that he was doing to, to share that. And he said that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Remember that when he wrote that, he was actually chained to a big burly Roman guard. And he's saying our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. He said our real struggle is against the unseen forces of darkness in the heavenly dimension. And the way we beat these forces is through Prayer. Prayer opens our eyes to the spiritual reality. It links us with God's winning team. I um, read this story, it was, uh, it was years ago now, um, about a missionary, American missionary who had been working in Africa. And um, he came back to his home church in America and he was telling people um, part of his experience and part of his testimony. Um, he was a medical missionary and um, he told how often he had to travel by bicycle through the jungle To a nearby city for supplies. It was about a two-day trip that required camping overnight at the halfway point in the jungle. And when he got to the city, he would go to the bank, and he'd get out get out his money, and then he would go and buy medicine and supplies and things that he needed to take back to the villages in the area where he was working. And on one of these trips, on the way there, he saw two men fighting um, as he was sort of going into town. And one of the man, men was badly injured. So this missionary actually stopped what he was doing. He got down, he treated the man's wounds. And while he was doing that, he told him a little bit about Jesus and what he was you know, doing there as a missionary and, and just tried to share with him the love of God. And continued on his trip and went home without any incident. Well, on his next trip into town, a few months later, um, the man that he had treated actually was looking for him in and he, he came up to him and said that he knew that the missionary had been carrying money and supplies because he had mentioned that while he was treating him. So he had organised five friends who had followed him into the jungle, planning to kill him and take his money and medicine. And that night, just as they were about to move in, they saw 26 armed guards around this missionary's camp protecting him. Now, when the missionary heard this, he he laughed and he said that he had been all alone in the jungle campsite, but the man insisted, no, it wasn't just me. My five friends saw it too. Six of us, each one of us who had surrounded your camp independently counted 26 armed guards. We didn't imagine it. And because of those guards, we were afraid and we ran away. And it was at this point when the missionary was relating the story back to his church um, at home in America, it was at this point that one of the men in the congregation actually interrupted. And he got up and he said, Can, do you know exactly when that occurred? When did this story happen? And the missionary had been um, something that really impacted him. And, and he did actually know the date. And he, he was able to provide the date. And the man said, you know what? Um, taking time zones into account. Uh, one morning I woke up and I was going to go play golf with some mates from church. And I just felt this really strong impression that Jesus was leading me to pray for you, specifically for you, specifically right now. And the urging was so strong that I actually phoned the guys that we were going to play golf with and I actually phoned um, all the other guys in our small group at church and, and we met at church and we prayed for you. And then he actually called out in his church and he said, could all the guys that were praying just stand up? And you guessed it, 26 men stood up. Prayer makes possible what is human We continue in the story in verse 19. It says, Then Elisha went out and told them, You've come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I'll take you to the man you're looking for. And so he led that foreign army to the city of Samaria. Now, I suppose for me that kind of, I don't know what you think of when you hear that part of the story, but it reminds me of a Jedi mind trick. These are not the droids you're looking for. You know what I'm talking about? Again, it's the oldies, right? We know the movie references that I know. This is great. And um, Hebrew scholars uh, actually point out that there probably wasn't total blindness, but something more like delusion that the army had. Um, And they say that for a couple of reasons, partly because if this army was completely blind, they probably wouldn't attempt to go on with their mission. But also the fact that the Hebrew word that's used in the story Not once does it actually refer to the lack of physical eyesight. Every time it's used, it actually, it means um, to be like dazzled or to be disorientated or confused, a little bit like a deer in headlights. That expression, deer in headlights, that's what it means when it said that these guys became blind. So their issue was that they, they couldn't. See, or they they couldn't perceive what was going on, where they were, who they were talking with, what was going on. They were just confused. They didn't know. And so Elisha led this army to the city of Samaria. Now, Samaria is about 18 to 20 kilometers away from Dothan. Okay, so even marching at a really brisk clip, it would have taken about three hours for these guys to get there. And I ask you this, because this is kind of how I like to think about Bible stories. I wonder what kind of small talk went on between Elisha and the commander of the army for those three hours. So, they might have asked Elisha, so what do you do anyway? Thanks for your help by the way, what do you do anyway? Well, I used to run a farm but don't really have time for that anymore, been a bit busy recently. Okay, okay, and, um, and, and where exactly are you taking us? Oh, nice town, just over there, around the corner. You know, really friendly people, you know, really know how to put on a good lamb spit roast. Yeah, yeah, we'll be there soon. Three hours these guys are walking together. Must have been a little bit awkward, right? Samaria, by the way, was the capital at the time. This was where the king lived. This is where the king's garrison, the full army of Israel, this is where they lived. And this is where Elisha marches the men. So in verse 20, it says, As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, My father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? The fact that it repeats that is kind of interesting. He's like a little kid at Christmas. Can I kill them? Can I kill them? Can I kill them? them? Please, please, please. And Elisha says, Of course not. Would we kill prisoners of war? Instead, give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. It's pretty interesting. So the king made a great feast for them and then sent them home to their master. And I love this next line. So after that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. Now, it says something about compassion. It says something about the effectiveness of compassion. It says something about a tactic that we wouldn't normally see as useful in that kind of situation. But it also shows us how things can be changed when we see what Jesus sees. The Bible tells us to pray for our enemies and to give food and drink when they're hungry or thirsty. And you don't see any clearer example of compassion to enemies (coughs) than Jesus' words from the cross. Father, forgive them because they don't understand what they're doing. But Jesus understood and he forgave them. And when we forgive and when we show compassion to our enemies, Paul says that they can become ashamed of their unkindness towards us and possibly even change their attitudes. In fact, in Proverbs, God promises to make our enemies become at peace with us. And the soldier at the foot of Jesus' cross certainly changed after seeing Jesus' grace towards them. So this story in 2 Kings 6 What do you get out of this story In 2 Kings 6 It's a powerful reminder Of how we can rely on God's promise As long as we're willing to let go of grudges To show compassion It's a power reminder about the power of prayer powerful reminder about how we view the world, how we see things, how quickly we see things the way that Jesus sees things. So what is your spiritual vision like? If you went for a spiritual eye test right now, how would you do? What if you could see what Jesus sees? or Are you missing out in life because your vision isn't quite in line with what Jesus wants you to see? How important is your spiritual vision? How important is your vision? Clay, just play that video for us, please. Sorry, I'm getting a bit emotional now. No, from the beginning, mate. That's the end. Oh, no, sorry, that's right. To Vespa Sachs. I'll need to take your phone for the duration of the visit. Good grace. Both of my eyes? Both of your eyes. A dollar value? What sort of amount would you be no. asking for? What about $40 million per eye? And never have like vision or anything? $50 million? Nothing. $80 million no. per eye. <laughs> oh my God. I actually, no, I don't think so. $100 really? million? Dollars? I, I'm telling you now. Somewhere Don't want to sound rude. <clears throat> Probably no price. I just couldn't. 20 I can't, I couldn't. Why? Like I've got a family. I need to be able to see my kids dance. My boys play soccer. The thought of like never seeing. Yeah, my partner's face again. I'm I need my eyes. I'm only 21, so I haven't seen much of the world. I don't know a price. I'm sorry. You can't really put a price on your sight. So when's the last time you had your eyes checked? Not for a a while, and I should do it then. Quite a few years. How important is your spiritual sight, and when was the last time? Dear Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much for the wisdom that you give us in your scripture. Thank you for your Holy Spirit working in us. And um, thank you that you are willing to reveal yourself to us, that you, are, that you want to be known by us, that you want us to see what you see. And in stories like this, I, I thank you that um, you show us time and time again that we can trust you. Even when we can't, maybe see the chariots of fire. um, We can still have faith in you, and and we can still seek out to know you more and, and to see you clearer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In Ephesians 118, Paul writes this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. God bless. Uh, Yes, thank you so much, Jason. And what an incredibly powerful challenge um, for each of us just to go away and think about, yeah, I really... Something out of that, so.